Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. As we take a look at the markets this week, crazy, crazy week as we all know. We saw uh, a lot of purchases when it came to export market opportunities. But many out there, you know, got to be the pessimists out there and think, oh, this is just a flash in the pan. But is it really? We're going to find out more details about the major export business we saw this week and the battle that continues between good weather, bad weather and our crops. Literally, many areas you can put a dividing line and you can see that. And some inflationary concerns with the dollar. Just a few of the things that we're going to hit during this Fontenelle final bell as Sean Hackett joins us with Hackett Financial. And Sean, let's start out with this major export business of the week. I mean, Monday just continued to pick up on the steam from the week before. We had a few down days, but then the steam picked right back up again. Yeah, I mean, we really had, I mean, the way we look at it, we really had three weeks in a row now where the Chinese have been consistently purchasing U.S. grain. Um, and not just, you know, token amounts. And we're talking about some sizable orders, record orders in the corn market. So, and, and really, when you think, when you look at what's happening, there's a difference between them doing it to appease us uh, or us forcing them to do it. But we believe they're doing it because they need to do it. The prices of corn and soybeans in China are near record premiums to U.S. price. And we're, we're seeing all kinds of news about food shortages uh, getting worse flooding in the southern China, the worst in almost 100 years, all kinds of other issues. And so we feel that this is business that's sustainable and, and it's going to be sizable. And until those price differentials start to, to come back together, um, we think that the little boy who cried wolf, which is right now with the way the market's trading this, which is they don't believe it's going to continue because for how many years now we've been expecting this to happen, but they do this for another two or three weeks, so we believe the market's going to start reacting and changing the balance sheets to lowering U.S. ending stocks because the demand is undershooting right now when it looks to us, you know, the direction that we're heading. So we're pretty optimistic that we're finally going to get this demand-driven, China-driven, you know, kind of move higher in grains that we've been expecting to see for a long time. When you look at the nuts and bolts of all of this, this is more than a, a political move, I think, is which what we had originally thought this last couple of weeks is, you know, we'll put out that little olive branch to the president and, and buy something. But now we're hearing so many reports out of China that their reserves are depleted. Um, there's food issues to feed their people. So it sounds like the motivation is more people than politics. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is definitely, uh, I think we've taken politics off the table now. And I think this is definitely, um, China will do what's in China's best interest always. And one of the things that they know throughout their history is that when food gets short, bad things happen in politics in China. And the leaders of the CCP know that. Uh, Xi Jinping knows that. And so when you look at historic floods, Fall army worm all over the place in the corn market, you know, surging parabolic prices going on, not just for, for corn and soybeans, but we're also seeing it, you know, in canola, in vegetables and fruits, it, 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 you know, African swine fever. All of that is saying that they have got themselves into a really bad corner with food and, you know, they need to get themselves out of it. Fortunately for them, right now, you know, they have a, a willing seller. And that is the United States that, you know, because everyone is so bearish here, 
you know, there's willing sellers for their buying right now because everyone doesn't see higher prices coming. But once again, that's, if that were to go on for another few weeks, we think the willing seller might still have to pull back and say, wait a minute, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there is hope for the future. And I think the Chinese know this. I think they're trying to buy as much as they can before prices start to move higher and the cat gets out of the bag. So. How much are other countries, I mean, they're obviously coming to the United States to buy, but look at just to our neighbors to the south. You know, Brazil, Argentina, are they sweating the fact that these purchases have all gone from them now to the United States? Well, remember, they already bought, cleaned out everything they could from soybeans at, at, at Brazil. I mean, Brazil sold out. They, they bought every single soybean bushel that's available. It's already sold out, and they don't have enough. So, so from a soybean perspective... This is when they would normally buy from us anyway. Now, from a corn perspective, remember, uh, Brazil and, 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 and Argentine corn supplies are just now becoming available. But what's interesting, normally they would just buy from them uh, and then they would buy from us later in the year. They're buying from them and they're buying from us simultaneously because they have a serious problem, meaning they need all hands on deck. They're going to all suppliers, buying all that they need, so once again, you talk about politics. Politics would have been buy from the South Americans, don't buy from the U.S. The fact that they're buying simultaneously from both regions means that you know they have a problem on their hands and, and they are not waiting around uh, to get supplies in because they they realize the gravity of what's taking place and, and how much worse it may get this fall when the true size of their crops comes in when the dust settles. What about the inflationary concerns with the dollar? Is that going to have some? Effects on our export purchases. Well, Susan, we, you know, if you look, anyone looks at any sustainable big move, market move higher in ag markets, whether it was the nineteen seventies, um, whether it was the two thousands, we've never had a sustainable move higher in U.S. ag prices without a downtrending U.S. dollar. I mean, that has always been a part of the process, and so it's never. You know, there's always a delay. You know, just because the dollar falls immediately doesn't mean you get a, an immediate reaction in uh, in markets. But it does say that a weakening dollar, like we've seen in the last two or three, not just a little bit. I mean, we're down something close to 10% or, or more here in just a couple of weeks would have a profound, longer-term, uh, trend-changing, inflationary kind of tailwind that we have not seen really since the 2000s. And so that's, you know, if anyone's looking for... You know, how do we get a bull market going in U.S. ag? How do we get sustainable exports going? How do we, you know, how do we right this ship and get our ag sector in a better place? A weakening dollar is a very, very key variable. And folks, we've got a lot more coming up. It's the final. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue our conversation with Sean Hackett. And we were talking a lot about China and the influence that we're seeing on the markets. Uh, let's look at the battle we're seeing here in the U.S. Because as I drove back from Colorado this week, um, you definitely could see variations in crop conditions and, and growth and I know that I shared a picture on my Twitter page of a gentleman from from western Iowa that dropped an ink pen down one of the cracks and then you turn around and I will admit I look out my window and my neighbor's crops look absolutely amazing but we know it's variable all across the Midwest so does that bring some concerns Sean that maybe these numbers USDA is talking about might be not as fluid as some had hoped? Well, we certainly think for corn. I mean, it's a little too early to say that on soybeans. Susan, I mean, obviously August weather 
which is just getting started, is very important for soybean yield determination. But on corn, I think we can, we can make some pretty clear judgments. Beginning of the year, we because this is a pre-La Nina year, not a full-blown La Nina year, we expect to see a western-based hot, dry pattern and an eastern-based warm, humid, warm night pattern, we call it. And when you have that, Overall, the crop rates will look good, like they came in on Monday night and came in with these good crop rates for corn and soybeans, and the, and, the, and the speculators took that and said, "Well, the crops are made, you know, hit the market." But we think that they're making a they're making a misdiagnosis. We will, if we go back to 2010, it's the last year that we really had what we would call a pre La Nina year like this. Crops were rated fantastic for corn, exactly the same. Everything looked great. Market thought that the crops were made. And then from the August report to the October report, the USDA dropped yields by 11 bushels to the acre because of the warm, hot nights and the impacts to uh, corn pollination not going right and yields due to lack of respiration are, were misdiagnosed by the market. And the dry pockets to the west that year were also misdiagnosed. We think the same mistake is being made today. And the algorithms, the computers that trade our markets, unfortunately, don't understand warm human nights. They only understand hot and dry, so we do believe that the market is going to be uh, is, is set up for a rude awakening in the September USDA report, where we think they're going to drop yields on corn considerably from what's expected, and I think that could set the corn market into a rare uh, September-October up move, and it normally is making harvest lows. So we think we're in a what we call a, a cycle inversion this year from what we normally would see. Let's, let's jump over to, to the livestock side. Um, we always love to have you talk dairy and what you're seeing in the industry. So as we kind of finish up this quarter and get ready to, to ramp up here in a month into the final quarter, what are your thoughts? Well, remember, dairy has, has many different prongs to it. Cheese, butter, milk powder, dry whey. So, it's, it, so, so I guess the, where we are on um, dairy is we're extremely bearish or extremely bullish certain parts of the dairy business. So let me explain. Cheese has been skyrocketing since the uh, April low due to the government buying physical product from the market and doing so up to 5% of U.S. production. And it's just run the market higher. We reopened the economy. And so we've had this wild, what we call a government-led bubble in cheese. So we're extremely concerned about the cheese price going down, which means we're, con- we're seriously concerned about the Class 3 price going down because Class 3 is predominantly driven by the cheese market. On the flip side, however, we're extremely excited about the milk powder market. We think, when we just, we just talked about how the Chinese are in this food shortage situation and looking to stockpile some needed items. Milk powder is an extremely important protein that's storable in China. We think that they're going to come in and be very, very large buyers of the milk powder market in the fourth quarter into the early first quarter. And to us, class four prices, which is highly dependent upon the price of milk powder, we're pretty bullish. So what we think is going to happen is we've had this record premium of class three price to class four. We think we're going to flip the switch where class four prices are going to gain at the expense of class three, and we're going to get an inversion of that spread. So depending upon if you're a Western dairy who's more class four oriented, you know, you're in, we think you're in for some better times ahead. If you're more in the center of the country and you're more class three oriented, we think you better embrace yourself for some significant shortfalls to the downside and move into the fourth quarter. So, unfortunately, it's not as clear cut as it normally is. Sue. 
Do we see a continued or next into next week some some higher numbers in our live cattle and lean hog markets? We're we're still constructive uh, livestock. I know cattle's moved up you know quite a bit, but we're we're still feeling that the demand from China for protein um, is an, is an overdrive right now. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you, Sean? Our website is always best of all kinds of information at Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. I have all kinds of sample reports and things for people to take a look at to see if what we do might be of value to your listener. All right. Thanks so much, Sean. Sean Hackett joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options do involve substantial risk of loss, and they are not suitable for all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers. Pick it up as a podcast at ruralradio.com. And, of course, wherever you subscribe, and you can find it on Spotify as well. It is the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network.